0: This audio program is a ministry of Clear Note Fellowship. For more information, go to clearnotefellowship.org. If you'll take a Bible, if you haven't, and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Start reading at verse 20. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, says the Apostle Paul, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman Through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. The present Jerusalem being the physical Jerusalem on earth. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit... So it is now also. But was but what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Who is our mother? The Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. She is our mother. Paul says to the Galatians, before he introduces her as their mother, he says to them, I am perplexed about you. In other words, I have doubts. I have doubts, but what does he have doubts about? He has doubts about whether or not they know who their mother is. And so he says, Jerusalem, the Jerusalem above, she is your mother and you're going around and saying, could this be my mother, could this be my mother, could this be my mother? And so are we today. Now this morning, I have a book to recommend, and we didn't get it into the table in time for you to get it for the conference, but I think you ought to pick it up for you and your family. It's called, Are You My Mother? Okay? You can get it on Amazon, two days out, and they'll get it to you the next day if you're close enough to where their distribution center is. Don't be tempted to allegorize the book. The little bird falling out of the tree, that's not the fall of Adam. (laughs) The steam shovel driving the bird back to the tree, the snort, that's not the law driving you back, right? Don't allegorize it. What is this book about? It's about a crisis in identification. The chick's about to hatch, so the mother goes away to get food for the soon-to-emerge chick. The chick comes out and gets out of the nest before the mother returns and goes on a journey seeking its mother. And the question is asked over and over and over again. What's the question? Are you my mother? Are you my mother? Until finally the bird is united, reunited with its mother. It's a journey seeking the authentic. At each encounter, the bird asks the question. At each encounter, he recognizes or is told that the answer is no. He spends a great deal of time finding that his mother was not anyone who was not his mother. And my wife said that sentence was awkward, and I said, I want it to be awkward. Okay? He spent a great deal of time trying to figure out who his mother was and he he spent a lot of time finding out that uh, his mother was not anyone who was not his mother. It must be like that. It must be that we like that are like the little bird in the story and we need an introduction and Paul is saying to the Galatians, you need to know who your mother is. Well, it's true of us. Finding out who she's not might help us. And so let's think about this morning for a little while, who our mother is not. And in doing that, we're going to have to look at influences in our lives that pressure us on this question as we are going to find our mother. And the influences are many. I want to start with the underlying primary influence, the one who has set us off track from the beginning, and that is the devil. He is an adversary who desires to keep us lost in a fog concerning our spiritual mother. Satan would have us destroy. He wants to devour our spiritual mother and us along with her. And so he warns us and he scares us with threats. And the scripture says he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, prowling about, and that we're supposed to resist him. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, you see the picture of the the uh, the serpent who is chasing the woman who's had the child, and you have the picture of Satan trying to destroy the church and trying to destroy her offspring and to. And to completely obliterate anyone who would uh, keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, is what it says. And you have that picture of Satan, who is our adversary. He's behind all of it. And so he's setting up everything that happens to try to confuse us, to mess up the picture, so we don't see who our mother is. And then we have our own flesh. And our flesh often will reject the care of our mothers. And it's compounded by the fact that we have an Im- immature understanding of being children and an immature understanding of being, uh, being adopted children. Because we are adopted children of God. Now, if you ever ever known or had an adopted child or have been an adopted child are an adopted child, you know that adopted children somewhere between the age of 6 and 16 will say to their mother at some time, what phrase? What's that? Come on. You're not my mother. You're not my mother. And you all knew it. How did you all know? Now, your, your natural born children don't say that to you. They have nowhere to go. In their rebellion, they just have nowhere to go. But adopted children, they have somewhere to go. and They want to get at you, right? Because they don't want to do what you want them to do. Their flesh is getting at you. And what they say is, you're not my mother. And we're like those adopted children, adopted by God into his kingdom. And we say to the church, you're not my mother. I'm not going to listen to you. You're not going to tell me what to do. And our flesh just comes out and comes out and comes out. We don't want to have her medicines and tonics. We don't want to have her care. And medicines aren't pleasant. I know, it's true. My mother, my earthly mother, you know, she grew up in a time when penicillin was just coming out. She had friends who died before penicillin came out of things that they would have given them penicillin to cure. So she had memories of no antibiotics. And so... We, the, the, the medicine we always had in the cupboard was penicillin. And it didn't come in pink chalky deliciousness. <laughs> it came in a pill. And I remember the pills because my mother in an attempt to help us to, to ease, the sol- the, to solve the difficulty of this bitter, bitter pill. She would crush the pill on a spoon and to make it better she'd put a little water on it and stir it up with her finger. So that way it would coat the whole mouth very thoroughly. (laughs) Okay? Get it in there. Get it working. But we say to God, we don't want the church as our mother. We don't want her treatments. We don't want her nurture. We don't want her care. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul says in Romans, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. We're just fleshly, earthly. Another pressure comes from the world. The world is constantly coming at us with pressures against our mother. There is no exclusive mother, all mothers are yours. Or the flip side of that same coin, there's no such thing as a mother. And that's what they're pushing at us and pushing at us and pushing at us. And what they're saying is conform, conform, conform. I was talking to a young man recently and he was talking about uh, some friends he's in a band with and he said to the band members that he'd like to do something about Jesus. And one of the band members responded and said something back like, I don't want anything to do with your Christ God. Okay? And so I said to this person, well, if you would have said that you were worshiping a turnip, no, I didn't say a turnip, I said, I don't know what, but you could have put anything in the place of the Christ God. And before I even finished my question, he said, oh, that wouldn't have mattered. That would have been just fine. It was the Christ God that he could not tolerate. And this is the world we live in. You cannot have her, this exclusive mother, Jerusalem above. You cannot have her, the world says. You can have any other mother you want. You can have all the other mothers. You can have no mother, but you cannot have her. And so they pressure and pressure and pressure. And Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Because of your identity with Christ, his body, his church, his bride, your mother the world hates you, will not accept. And so the world is constantly pushing at us, saying, don't have her, don't have her, have anybody, have them all, have nobody, have none, but do not have Jerusalem above as your mother. We can't tolerate that. And so you have Asaph as he's writing Psalm 73, and he's thinking about the wicked and he's talking about how they are in their lives and how they're fat and how they have no pain in their death and how this and how this and how this. And what's happening with Asaph as he's going along? He's starting to think to himself, I have kept my heart pure in vain. What is Asaph? What's going on with Asaph? He's being pressured by the world. He's being pressured to say, there is nothing to it. He's having atheistic thoughts. I was reading uh, John Bunyan's autobiography, I think or his testimony, and he talks about his struggle with atheistic thoughts. Right? This is what the world challenges us with constantly, day in and day out, constantly. Constantly. Challenging us at the point of our faith. John Calvin says, There is more venom in this than in all persecutions. For how much more alarming is it that the grace of divine adoption shall be made void than that this frail life shall be taken from us? How much more alarming that the grace of divine adoption shall be made void, than that this frail life is taken from us. This reminds us that not only ought we to be filled with horror at outward persecutions when the enemies of religion slay us with fire and sword, and when they banish, imprison, torture, or scourge, when they attempt by, but when they attempt by their blasphemies, To make void our confidence which rests on the promises of God. When they ridicule our salvation, when they wantonly laugh to scorn the whole gospel. Nothing ought to wound our mind so deeply as contempt of God and reproaches cast upon his grace. Nor is there any kind of persecution more deadly than when the salvation of the soul is assailed. He says, for my own part, I am far more grieved by the fury of the Epicureans than of the Papists. They do not attack us by open violence, but in proportion, as the name of God is more dear to me than my own life, the diabolical conspiracy which I see in operation to distinct to extinguish all fear and worship of God, to root out the remembrance of Christ or to abandon it to the jeers of the ungodly, cannot but rack my mind with greater anxiety than if the whole country were burning in one conflagration. The Epicureans, pleasure seekers, not hedonists necessarily, Uh, just enough pleasure so that you don't have too much pleasure because that might become unpleasurable. Okay? How many of you've read the divine comedy, Dante, the Inferno? Do you remember that the Epicureans were located in the sixth circle of hell as the penultimate, consummate heretics? I actually think Calvin would have sent them lower as I read him. He would have sent them lower because he would have said that they are attacking us at the heart of our relationship to the Father at the heart of our adoption as his children. And that's where they place their attacks. If you don't know about them, it's common for them to put on their, gray, on their tombstones, I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. You were not, you were, You now stand before God, and I'll bet you care now. I want to read one more thing. Through history, in the Epicurean philosophy, there developed a four-part cure. A four-part cure that they would say to one another. It was like their creed. Don't fear God. Don't worry about death. What is good is easy to get, and what is terrible is easy to endure. And that was their creed. Notable Epicureans, Thomas Jefferson, Christopher Hitchens. And so you see Calvin as he's looking at this and he's saying, These are enemies. They're worse enemies than ones who would beat you with a stick because they attack your very soul. They attack your very confidence. They attack you at the point of your faith. Atheistic thoughts and pressures. It's nothing new, we sang Psalm 1 and how different it is than Psalm 2. In the law he meditates, and then Psalm 2 and we had a wonderful sermon last past Sunday by uh, Pastor Baker about Psalm 2, about how the nations rage and try to cast off God and cast him away from themselves. It's nothing new. For a long time People have been doing what is right in their own eyes. It's interesting how the doctrine of the Epicureans could substitute for the Apostles' Creed in many churches. Don't fear God. Don't worry about death. What is good is easy to get. Have your best life now. What is terrible is easy to endure with morphine. And so we have the philosophies of God-hating atheists and deists permeating evangelical Christianity today. And therefore we have another oppressor another difficulty, another tempter, and that is the false church. The church that has Sinai as its mother. We could talk about Rome, the Roman Catholic Church. The reality with Rome, however, is unlike the Epicureans, they do believe in fearing God. They don't get Grace and justification, but they do get the fear of God. I think Tim talked briefly last night about the homeschool church. It's a church that's not the church where the physical mother and father are my mother, the church. They can baptize me and feed me communion. I can always hold membership in our McMansion in the suburbs. We're always tempted to see also as the false church, the Republican church. And this is where our membership will be. Yay, Texas! Right? You got an amen over there from Texas. You're not in Texas anymore, are you? Are you still there? Who moved? You moved. Okay. Traitor. <laughs> and so we look at Texas and we say, oh, good. The, the victory, the strength, our confidence, our trust. We look to her and we say, are you my mother, Texas? Are you my mother, Republican Party? Are you my mother, homeschool parents? And the church, evangelical church, is so given to worldliness that the church becomes the persecutor. It becomes the persecutor. It's false. And so we have the reality of the church persecuting. And again, it's nothing new. What happened when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Matthew 27, starting verse 39, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you, are going to, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. Would have been an interesting sight, wouldn't it? He trusts in God, let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. That is the line of the Epicureans. He trusts in God, let God rescue him. Let God rescue him. Ah. Undermining faith. Trying to separate Jesus from his father. And so we have today the same reality Bible toting, prayer group attending, happy clappy, unbelieving. No need to fear God. Oh no. Don't fear God. Oh no. We believe in God, He is. He's just not Himself. Death? No, no, don't be worried about death. It's not death, it's celebration of life. It's not your enemy. No big deal. Avoid conflict and seek moderate pleasure. Suffering is a negative confession. Grace, so called, has become the Epicurean elixir of the evangelical church. False grace is that which denies the connection between faith and the painful world of the sacrificial actions of Hebrews 11, the actions of those who were disciples before Christ's incarnation. This kind of religion is faith in a vacuum, a void, nothingness. There is no reason for the existence of this church. The fake and false church is not our mother. She's our accomplice. She's our co-conspirator. Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, but if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. We are willing to have a false church because we're looking for a co-conspirator, an accomplice to help us, to give, what our, give us what our flesh wants. Do not be deceived. There is a Jerusalem above, and she is free. She is unfettered. She is our mother. I have for many years tried to call my earthly mother on a weekly basis. When she says hello, in order for her to know which of her six sons is calling, I say, Is this my mother? To which she replies, Yes, David, this is your mother. Then I too know where I stand. <laughs> and that is actually something because I have missstyled a couple times over the years. <laughs> and I always seem to get the same old lady and I don't know who she is. <laughs> no, stop scaring me. Well, Let's dial in now and observe the unmistakable traits of our mother. It's not enough to know who she is not. We need to imprint. Are you familiar with imprinting? You know how birds imprint? You seen this? Have you seen Fly Away Home or Fly Away Willie or whatever it is? <laughs> right? That would be an interesting movie. Sorry about that. We need to imprint. Chicks do it. Ducks and geese do it. Actually, children do this to some extent, knowing their parents before they're even born. They're convinced that before children are born, they know their parents' voices. But chicks and ducks, I mean, is sometime between like around 10 to 16 hours old, they imprint on some object that they see, usually something moving. Ducks aren't too smart. They'll imprint on a lawnmower, you know. But... It's something where you get fixed and you realize, I belong to this. I belong to this. We need to imprint on the church. We belong to her. Let's imprint on her. What do we see as we focus on her? What makes her recognizable? Well, first of all, she's the household of faith. Galatians 6, verse 10 says that she is the household of faith. Other passages call her the household of faith. In Acts 17, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are his children. God dwells in the church. And it's the household of faith. And it's at this point that the Epicureans attack us. It's at this point that the atheistic thoughts attack us and the temptations attack us. But remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God and so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The church, the household of faith, is a household of faith, a household of a, a gathering of believers who live their lives Exhibiting faith as those who come to God, believing that he is. Believing not that he has made us and left us, but believing that he has made us and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is our God. And as you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, you find Abraham and you find him seeking for the city. And what does it say? He's looking for the city, the foundations of which were laid by God. He is looking for the Jerusalem above. He's looking for the church. He's anticipating her arrival. He wanders about looking for the signs. Well, we're wandering about. Let's look for the church. Let's look for her. What is the evidence of our faith? How do we recognize faith in the Jerusalem above who is our mother? How do we recognize it? How do we recognize faith in those people in Hebrews chapter 11? It's demonstrated with action. It's demonstrated with obedience. And so when we hear God's word, we exercise faith. We come into the church, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we exercise faith. And when we realize that we're not supposed to be fornicators, we exercise faith. And when we realize that we're not supposed to be adulterers, we exercise faith. And when we realize that we're not supposed to be thieves, we exercise faith. And when we realize that we're supposed to give what we have to the poor, we exercise faith, And and when we do it, when we do it. And when we realize that we're supposed to practice hospitality, we exercise faith. And when we realize, and when we see these realities working, we say, Oh, I see evidence of authenticity. There you are, Mother. There you are, faith. Repentance from sin. Confession of sin. Turning away. Acknowledgement of our need of God. There you are, mother. And our hearts start to imprint. Imprint on the household of faith. Responding to God's call that we're to join the cloud of witnesses. The church is the pillar of truth. As Tim Read last night, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. How do we recognize and embrace her authority in doctrine, the church? Calvin says, Scripture, they say, is fertile and thus produces a variety of meanings. I acknowledge that Scripture is a most fer- a most rich and inexhaustible fountain of all wisdom, but I deny that its fertility consists in the various meanings which any man, at his pleasure, may assign. Let us know, then, that the true meaning of Scripture is the natural and obvious meaning, and let us embrace and abide by it resolutely. Let us not... Only neglect as doubtful, but boldly set aside as deadly corruptions those pretended expositions which lead us away from the natural meaning. In other words, God's Word, as it is, what it says, it should be preached, it should be taught. We should look for people who aren't afraid to teach everything in the Bible. And that they're not trying to twist it and turn it in order to... It's obvious, right? When they twist it and turn it in order to make themselves more palatable to the world. And so we look for our mother and we look for that authenticity. Not the Bible and me. Not you and I coming to church and judging everything based on our complete knowledge of the word. If I just had time, I would do... A study Bible so that everyone would know my brilliance. Right? But we come to the church because she is the one that holds the doctrine. And we're fed and we grow. She has the keys, she has authority. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. Tim talked about the authority in the Great Commission last night. Have you embraced the gift of discipline God has given you in the church, in your mother? Have you embraced this? Have you embraced this penicillin stirred up with the water? Because that's how it is sometimes, but I might be dead if my mother hadn't stirred up that penicillin with that water. And how often we get a little tiny bitter from our our elders and our pastors and we want to spit them out and spit out everything and walk away and leave it. Are you willing to see the value of the discipline of the church for you Are you willing to see that as a mark of her authenticity and then to give yourself to her and imprint on her? The church is fruitful. She is fruitful. More children, more children for Sarah. More children. 1 Peter 2, 4-6 through six, and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ built on the chief cornerstone so God is taking us as living stones he's made us alive and he's Have you ever watched a a mason, a stonemason, lay stone? Anyone ever seen this happen? He takes the stone and he takes his chisel, or he takes a brick and he takes his chisel and he smacks it, cracks it, turns it, twists it, gets the right angle, the right shape that he's looking for before he sets it in. And all the other stones then, the ones underneath feel the weight, the ones on the side get kind of squished up, God has made the Jerusalem above fruitful. He is laying living stones among us, to us, on top of us, around us. This is evidence of the authenticity of our mother. And as He lays those stones, We feel it. Do you love and embrace the new additions? Have you imprinted on the idea of spiritual fruitfulness as being a trait that will cause you to recognize the authentic church, your mother? It's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit difficult. We have to teach people who didn't know before. We have to open our home to more people. We have to make room for more people's gifts. We have to share one another with other people and then we go to small group. Small group. I've been in the same small group for 9 months. I'm really sick of this guy. And then God takes his trowel, and he just, and by his grace, he makes room out of you. And he sanctifies you. And you say, oh, that's right. She's fruitful. (laughs) That's right. That's right. She is not of this world. The church is not of this world. Jesus says in John 15, This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. She is not of this world, which being interpreted for our purposes today means she is persecuted. The world hates her. She doesn't belong here. She is not right. Did you see the news this morning about the, the uh, homosexual parade in Seattle, some of you? And about two preachers who were there preaching on a lawn or on a, in a park next to the parade. And uh, somebody got it on film. And they were attacked. And they were thrown to the ground and one of them was just beaten. What love we have, what tolerance we have. Listen, we are not of this world We don't belong in this world as members of it. We're here as sojourners, as aliens. We have another kingdom. We have a Jerusalem that is above, and she is our mother. And you're going to want to say to yourself, well, I don't want to recognize as my mother somebody who gets thrown to the ground and beaten, because then I might get thrown to the ground and beaten. Or maybe... Just my friends will laugh at me and they won't have anything to do with me. And they'll quit inviting me out with them when they go out to party. And then I, I don't want to be associated with this Jerusalem because she's not of this world and I am, I'm almost certain not to get the promotion I'm, I'm wanting at work if I associate myself with her. The Jerusalem above is not the Jerusalem of this world. She is our mother. And she does not belong here. She is not accepted. She is not welcome. And that's how you see her clearly. That's how you recognize her authenticity. And what you need to do is say, with faith, Yes, yes, she is my mother. I love her. I'll be associated with her. I don't care about promotions. I don't care about getting to go out with the guys. I have God who's adopted me as his child. He's delivered me from my sin. He's delivered me from judgment. I belong To the church. Just two more things. She is already, she is already. And what do I mean by that? Well, the authentic exists here in particular. She is the Jerusalem above. She is all the saints of God, including all of those saints of Hebrews 11. But she is also here, manifested in particular form, distinguishable, recognizable, powerful, but not perfect. And we see her marks in preaching and discipline and the sacraments. Give yourself to her. She's here. I've talked about recognizing her, but you have to see that the recognition just keeps pulling in and pulling in and pulling in until you see that oh, okay, here she is. She's here. How will I imprint on her here? You know what the ducks and chicks do, right? You walk around and they follow you around. Whatever you're doing, they're doing. How are you going to imprint on the church? Whatever she's doing, you're doing. You're a part of her. Give your time, your energy, your money. Teach Sunday school, mow lawn, make coffee, pray, exercise in her whatever gift God has given to you for her benefit. Receive from others all the gifts God has given them for your benefit. Be all in to the particular church that you recognize as having the resonance of authenticity. As your mother, give yourself to her, love her, and lastly, she is not yet. So in Hebrews 12. It says, You have come to the Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to a myriad of angels. In other words, we have come to the church. And then in Hebrews 13, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. There's an element that is not yet with the church the consummation, the marriage, the feast, the eternal. Imprint on that. (laughs) Imprint on John's vision in the book of Revelation. Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city. Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is the Jerusalem above. She is our mother. Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like very costly stone as the stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south, three gates on the west and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb were its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Imprint yourself on that. Faith. Be the household of faith. She is our mother. She is our mother. We must be faithful in her and faithful to her and love her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a world that is Opposed to you, and therefore opposed to us as we serve you, and love you, and believe on you. But Father, we desire to come to you. And we believe that you reward those who seek you. And so we come this morning asking that you will make us to be members of your church. To love her, to be all in We give you thanks for her, for her beauty, for her care, for the wonder of your putting her together the way you have. Blessed be your name, Father. Help us, O Lord. Give us faith and move us forward. Persevere us until that day so that we may see with our own eyes the heavenly Jerusalem. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. This has been a production of Clearnote Press. Please feel free to share this recording with others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more resources like this, go to clearnotefellowship.org.